Hey Shelby Christian, I'm Caroline Scott, and here's what's happening on the Hill. If you're interested in membership, volunteering, or how to get connected, Pathways is where you start. Our next class starts November 15th. You can sign up online or in the Next Step room after the service. It's the season of Thanksgiving, but remember, there's no services on Thanksgiving Day. Enjoy some pumpkin pie, your family, and give thanks to the Lord. Bless your little heart. If you're looking to be a blessing this year and bless someone in need, we've got some great opportunities for Christmas this year. First up, it's time for our Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes with Samaritan's Purse. We're currently out of shoe boxes, but you can fill your own. Just remember to bring them to the Common Grounds area no later than November 20th. Next up, we've still got some families in need for our angel tree. You'll find it out here in the lobby. You need to get your gifts in by December 7th. Be sure to sign up because we want to keep track of all these angels. We also have an opportunity for you and your family to ring the bell for Salvation Army. Sign up is in the Common Ground area and it's Black Friday, November 25th. If this is your first time here, we want to connect with you. Stop by the desk at the I'm New wall out in the lobby. It's the big orange wall and we've got a gift for you. Good morning, church family. Good to see you out there. Anybody like the cold weather like me? Will you stand to your feet? I see you all bundled up. Let's get those hands moving, get those feet moving, and let's praise Him this morning. My God will finish what He started. He holds the world within His hands. My God delivers all the promise. Nothing's greater than He. Nothing's greater than me. Nothing's greater than me. Sing it out. The victory is yours. 
praise this morning for what he's done in the past and what he's going to do. Amen. Amen. You can be seated real quick. We take a time out every service and it's a celebration time. It's a time to give thanks to the Lord for what he has done. But you know, through this week, we also celebrate something on Friday. It was called Veterans Day, right? Is there any veterans that are here today? If you just wave, just wave at me. Or if you have a family member that was a veteran, just give them thanks. It's something that we can never, never forget is that freedom is not free. Freedom is not free, right? A sacrifice is made. And through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, he's given us freedom over sin, over death. And now we're free. We can live an abundant life through him. Amen. Jesus said, I am the bread. He said, drink of me and you'll never thirst again. He's all that we could, ne- he's all that we could ever need. So tonight, I mean, sorry, this morning, as the elements are here on the side and at the front, just want to pray. And after we pray, you can come forth and get those and celebrate. Celebrate life through Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that freedom. Sometimes it's through the holidays that we can remember just how important, how precious freedom is. But God, I pray, Lord, for a different freedom over this church family, that freedom from addiction, freedom from depression, freedom from oppression. Because as we enter the holidays of being thankful, God, let us see the goodness that you are and all that we have to be thankful for, Father. It's through your Son's name. We live and we give you praise. Amen. You come. Church. Praise the Father. 
being in this place today, God. Let it be a sweet sound to you, Lord, as we lift you up and our hearts are prepared for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. What's up, church? Morning. All right, glad you guys are here with us, excited about what God is doing in this place. If you're watching with us online, uh, we are thrilled, thrilled to have you connected with us in that way. Did you guys know that Jesus talked more about money than he did about any other subject during his time here on earth? In fact, did you know... Excuse me, did you know that he talked more about money than he did about heaven, hell, marriage, and family combined? Why do you think that is the case? Because I think Jesus, being God in flesh, knew that that was the one thing that was going to really mess us up and get people upside down in so many ways throughout all of history. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about that, maybe from some different angles than you would expect anytime you hear that a church is going to talk about money. I, I find it interesting that in our, in our economy, all of our coinage and all of our uh, currency has somebody's face on it. It's true in a lot of countries and a lot of cultures, but in ours, it's every single coin and every single piece of currency. And we see it all the time. And sometimes we see it so much that we don't even know who it is. I just want to give you a test this morning. All right. This is audience participation. So if that person who came with you this morning is currently asleep, nudge them, wake them up. We need everybody participating. All right. All right. Here's the deal. Whose face is on the penny? It would be so good for you if we could quit the test right here. What about nickel? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jefferson, somebody, that's right. All right. What about dime? Roosevelt. Yeah. Who's got their phone out Googling right now? Just keep, they've already figured out the order I'm going in. All right. Well, what about, uh, what about the quarter? Okay, yes, I mean, if you don't get that one, like, you've got to go back to first grade in American history, all right? All right. What about the half dollar? Kennedy. Kennedy, there you go, all right? And I know that then when you get into some other, like, those, they make specialty ones, and there's all that other different stuff. But let's, let's move to currency, all right? Uh, one dollar bill, who's on that? Washington. Washington, all right. Uh, how about the two dollar bill? 
Jefferson, yeah. Some are like $2 bill. What? Yeah, it's that, it's that one that your grandparents give you at Christmas every year, you know? And now, you know, depending on your age, you got a whole bunch of them stuffed in a drawer somewhere, all right? Uh, what about $5? Lincoln. Lincoln, all right, all right. $10. Did somebody... Hamilton, Alexander Hamilton, all right? Uh, what about... <laughs> Man, you guys are rolling ahead of me, all right? $50 bill. Grant. Grant. Oh, by the way, extra credit. I need to go back. Extra credit. Do you know who's going to... Re- no, 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 no. You're ahead. No, no, stay with me. Stay with me. We're not on the 100 yet. Do you know that in 2018, Andrew Jackson is getting bumped off the 20? You know who's taking his place? Oh, there's the stumper, Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman. It will be on the 20. No, that's a 218. That was, sorry, 228. 228, all right? Now, whose face is on the 100? Yeah, but we, we don't talk about having Franklins, do we? You talk about having, how many Benjamins you got, all right? What about, all right, now, what about the $1,000 bill? All right, somebody get in your wallet and get one right now and look. <laughs> and if you do, come see me as soon as service is over. We like to talk. <laughs> all right, Grover Cleveland is on the 1000 What about the $5,000 bill? It's, yeah, it's Dolly's husband. Yeah, James Madison. Yeah, okay, here's the big one. $100,000 bill. Uh, Glenn Brewer's got two of them right now in his, in his pocket. Right? $100,000 bill is actually Woodrow Wilson. And it was actually, it was actually a bill that was developed and used to transport money between banks during the Great Depression. They literally wanted something that they could like, somebody, an anonymous person could like, that was making that transfer could like put it in their pocket and move from, because you you send the people out with like anything that resembled, you know, a, a transfer of money, it was likely to be robbed. So they developed a currency that was big enough that, you know, you could carry four or five of them in your pocket and nobody even know you had them and transfer money from bank to bank isn't that amazing to even think about now that we have internet <laughs> like that's a crazy thought to even have but i want you to imagine something i want you to imagine something today imagine that all those faces that we just went through imagine those faces could actually talk to you could actually say something to you about what is done with them in that form. I wonder what kind of lessons they would have learned over the years of seeing how people have gone through that. I wonder what they would say to a culture that worships at the throne of money every day. So for the next three weeks, that's kind of what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about money's worth and what your money would say if if it could talk to you, okay? But I want to start off today by going ahead and giving you the bottom line for today. Because I think with where we're going today and talking about the value of money, if our money could speak to us today, the thing that it would say is, I can add meaning to your life. I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. But see, there's a dramatic difference in those two statements. I can add meaning to your life. Oh, I'm not the meaning of your life. But don't you agree that in our world, a lot of times it's the second half of that that we pursue so vigorously? That if we can just get more, that's going to give my life meaning. If I've got, if I've got stacks and stacks of cash, if I've got this great 401k or whatever, that's going to give my life meaning. It can add some meaning, but it is not the meaning of life. And so all I want to do this morning real quick is give you four action steps, four things to work on that will help you to appreciate the value of the money that God blesses you with, however great or however small. The first action step is this. Renounce the trap of greed. To renounce or reject the trap of greed. You might even say, hashtag, there's value in contentment. We're going to be in the book of First Timothy today. If you got your Bibles or if you want to get your device out and get to it. First Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 4, okay? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 4. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, anyone who teaches something different is arrogant 
and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arrogant, uh, it stirs up arguments, uh, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. You're, you know anybody like that? Don't point right now. But you, you know people like, this, everything they do, they're just like in the middle of drama. Cause trouble. So their minds are corrupt. They have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. Notice Paul here talks about people who are trying to find their contentment in wealth. Man, if I just had $10 million, oh, everything would be so easy. In fact, a few years ago, I got two guys, P, uh, James Peterson and a guy named Peter Kim, wrote a book based on some extensive surveys of thousands and thousands of Americans. And the title of the book was The Day America Told the Truth. They asked questions about things that they perceived people were probably thinking but weren't really kind of willing to come out and talk about. And so they asked several different questions and they asked this one about money. They asked people, what would you do for $10 million? The results of the survey are fascinating. Maybe shocking, maybe scary. Here's the first thing I noticed that 25%, that's one out of four people, said they would abandon their entire family for $10 million. So, like if you're sitting on a row with four of you, that's one of you, you know? It's one out of four. Would, would abandon their family for $10 million. 23, some people are saying, i do it for a lot less. I, I know. Some people are saying, uh, or the survey said that 23% of this, 23% of the respondents said they would become a prostitute for a week or more for $10 million. Wow. 16%, that's one out of six, said they would give up their American citizenship for $10 million. That may have already happened this week. I don't know. Uh, 16% said they would leave their, their spouse for $10 million. 10%, this, this, is, this is where it gets like scary. 10% of the people surveyed said they would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free for $10 million. Seven, now, you think that one was bad? 7% of the people that responded said they would kill a stranger for $10 million. Wow. 3% said they would give their kids up for adoption for $10 million. One cynic said, everyone has their price. Everyone has their price. See, but it's not about the money. And as being followers of Christ, it's not about the money. It, following Christ by going all in is not a path to financial gain. Sorry, Joel. Uh, this is the way it is. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 is a guy that's an interesting character. Just his name kind of tells you a lot about him, doesn't it? Simon the sorcerer. All right, he practiced magic and that was how he made money. And he would do everything from like, in, in our day and time, it'd be like re reading your fortune or tarot cards or whatever. And that's who he was. That's how he made his money. Well, then the church starts... And in the first few chapters of Acts, the church starts exploding. People are coming to the church left and right. And there's a lot of people. And Simon's a pretty clever guy. He's like, there's a bunch of clients right there. And so they're having meetings and there's this, I guess, line of people getting ready to get baptized. And Simon jumps in line. Like, this is cool. And he gets in line. He gets baptized. And then the disciples have to come back to him and go, dude, what are you doing? Because he didn't change anything that he was doing. He literally got baptized and got in this group of Christians just because he thought it represented more clients. And they're like, no, this is not what this is about. You, you, didn't, you never repented. You never changed from what you were doing. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, it's not about just getting with a group of people so you can make more cash. It's about really changing your life and giving your life over to him. All through, the, all through the Bible, there's these characters that are trying to figure out money and what it's really worth and how much it's really worth. In Acts chapter 5, you read the story about Ananias and Sapphira who sold their land for money and that there was nothing wrong with that, but then they lied about it. 
they, they lied about what they had made on their selling their land and because of that they died there's a young man that Jesus tells a story about. It's a, it's a parable, so it's a made-up story. But he uses it to illustrate a lot of things. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. All of us know the story. It's the parable of the prodigal son that's found in Luke chapter 15. And the prodigal son, what's he do? He comes to his dad one day. He's, he's one of two sons of a very wealthy man, obviously. And he comes to his dad one day and he says, Dad, I'm kind of tired of your rules. Kind of tired of hanging out here. I want what's coming to me. Now, all the dads in the room at that moment, you know what you're thinking, right? My son comes to me with that kind of comment. You don't get what's coming to him. But, but dad, this dad in this story that Jesus told gave him half of everything. Kind of signed the check, gave him the Jerusalem visa card or whatever it was. And, and he's like, here, here, here it is. And so this young man thinks he has made it thinks he has landed everything that he was ever going to need in life. He's got all kinds of money, cash, assets, goes off to the big city, leaves the farm, goes off to the big city, and in a matter, a very short matter of time, has blown it all. What did he blow it on? You figure it out. (laughs) Figure it out. I mean, in Jesus' time, all the same things that are going on today were going on then, and we just didn't, people didn't see about it on the internet. So, young guy, lots of cash, goes off to Big City. You know what he spent it on. Everything that you can imagine is what he spent it on. In a very short period of time, he's down to having nothing. And he finds himself homeless, and the only way that he can eat is to work at a pig farm and be able to eat the pig scraps. Not the pigs eating his scraps. He was eating the pig scraps. Like you're, you're two generations away from the table, all right, at that point. And so he comes to his senses. And he says, this isn't working. See, that, that kid made several mistakes along the way. First of all, he overestimated the importance of wealth. Yeah, he thought, I got it made. I got it made. This is great. He overestimated the importance of wealth. He wanted instant gratification. I mean, stop and think about it. And the way that Jesus told this story, everything that he got, stay with me here, everything that he got that day when he went to his dad, he was going to get anyway, right? It was, it was going to be, he was going to get it. And guess what? Based on how he used it versus how his dad had used it, if he had waited until dad was gone, he would have gotten more than he got that day. You follow me? Because dad was obviously doing well and, and accumulating wealth, not wasting wealth. All right? So he wanted that instant gratification. Not only did he lose what he got, he lost what he would have got. You follow me? And that's what a lot of people are doing today. Just give me the money. Show me the money. He, he spent his money on sinful activity of all kinds. He wasted all that he had. And he failed. This is a big one. He failed to anticipate hard times. You know, I'm really worried about that right now in our world. In our country especially. You know, because for the last couple of years... We've been getting checks in the mail that we really did nothing to work for. And people have been cashing them checks and living high off the hog. Guess what? Rodeo's up. And if you don't make plans for the future, the future will dissolve all around you. It will eat you up. So this, this young man realized, man, what have I done? And so one day he realized, hey, the servants are doing better at my dad's house than I am. And he goes back to his dad. He goes home. And I love, I, I love how the scripture talks about this. It talks about his dad seeing him in the distance. And when they get together, the son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. But... Everybody would have thought, okay, go live in the barn with them was where Jesus was going to take this story. But, but the whole thing about the dad, and, and in the story Jesus tells, God is the father. But he says that when he was a long way off, the father could see his son. It, it, it tells me he's been on the front porch every day looking for him. Just waiting and hoping that he was going to come. And this one day he crosses the horizon and dad knows that's the silhouette of my boy. And the Bible says he ran to him. 
He ran to him. It was scandalous to even talk about an old man running on so many levels. And he got to him and he embraced him. He hugged him. He welcomed him home. He put a ring on his finger and robed him and he threw a party. He threw a party because that which was lost was come home. Now later he had to deal with the older brother and all, that was a different story. But I want you to see that that prodigal son is like a lot of us. Like a lot of us. We thought, oh man, if I can just get wealthy. If I can just, and, and we've got a number, you know. And, and if we go around the room, probably every one of us have somewhat of a different number. It was, okay, what's that number? If I get there, then I'm okay. If I could just get there, then, then I'm okay. And... Sometimes we get there and we're not okay. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. That's the American definition. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. But that prodigal son goes running home. The dad runs to him and welcomes him. He repented and turned from his sin and turned back to his dad. Wow. We got to do the same thing. Okay, so we, we renounce greed. The second thing we need to do is to accept that money is temporary at best. Hashtag, there's misunderstood value in wealth. Look at verse 7, if you still got your Bibles there. First Timothy 6, 7. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we, can take nothing, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I guess it's all over the news, unless some of you, unless one of you was in Altadena, California a few weeks ago, you weren't it, but apparently somebody purchased a ticket in Altadena, California uh, a few weeks ago that uh, is now worth $2 billion. I wonder if that money's going to make them happy. Not if they're like a lot of lottery winners. A lot of professional athletes that get these sick paychecks and payouts and unbelievable amounts of money. And then you read the story two years later of how they're broke. They don't have anything. They filed bankruptcy. It's all gone. Because I'm telling you, all of a sudden you get really wealthy, you don't know how many cousins you got. There, but you don't know. There, do you realize that there were 10,000 people in your graduating class from high school? Because they're about to find you. They're about to find you. And you're going to have a reunion. And if people aren't smart, it doesn't end up well. The taxes, the attention, the fake friends, the real headaches. The money comes and the money goes. And seldom does it actually satisfy. That's why Paul said to Timothy there in verse 9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. And run into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, I want to be very careful here. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I want to be very, very careful right here and pause. Listen to me. There is absolutely nothing wrong with wealth. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing at all wrong with having money, having lots and lots of money. It's when your money has you that it becomes a problem. That's where we run into problems. Too many people don't understand that money is temporary in many ways. You can have an investment that goes bad overnight. You know, you got all your money in some certain stock and it goes belly up or whatever it might be. Thieves can come and steal your money, can take your money, or you're going to die. That one I'm sure of. You know, it's temporary at best. And, and so there's a lot of people that want to be rich overnight, just like that prodigal son did. Or they're already rich and they're kind of like that rich young ruler that Jesus told about in Mark chapter 10. And they don't know how to share or they don't want to part with it anyway. It's the most important thing in their life. There's this profound teaching here from Paul that we can't miss. Money is not evil. There's nothing wrong with having money. 
The love of money is what is evil. Don't let your money have you. I want to show you one more thing in this section. We'll move on. Look at verse 10 one more time. Look what it says. He says, some people craving money have wandered from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. I was reading that this week, and I think it speaks somewhat to that 1.8 barrier that we've talked so much about over the last couple months of the average American who identifies themselves as a Christ follower attends church 1.8 times a month in, in, in current society. And I think a lot of it is they've wandered. They've wandered away chasing something. Chasing good times on the lake, chasing just more money by working, chasing, chasing, chasing something. But it's been a slow fade. It's been a slow fade. See, some of those things that were in that, that, that survey that people said they would do for $10 million, I mean, here's what they, people don't go from living a perfectly sane life to doing something like crazy, outrageous, stupid overnight. Satan wants you to do that, but he knows you're not going to. He knows if this is where you need to be, and that over there is where he's trying to get you, that you're not going to take just a giant leap. Whatever the situation, what are you going to do? He's going to put something out there, and you're going to be right here, and he's going to ease you over here. And then after a while, he's going to ease you over here. And then after a while, he's going to ease you over here. But he's going to get you to the point where that leap really isn't a leap. It's just another step in the journey. And see, that's what happens a lot of times when we're pursuing wealth in the wrong ways. We, we take that leap that we, and we, here's what happens. I've talked to too many people, whether it's, whether it's just blown family, blown finances, addiction, whatever. They found themselves over here and, and they're saying, Dave, I don't know how I got here. Well, I do. I do. Because it could have been me. It could have easily been me. But it's that those baby steps and all of a sudden that last step is not that big a step. And so we take it. We jump. We fall. We end up looking for love and relief in all the wrong places. That's the theme song on the prodigal son. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Number three, third step we need to do here is to choose, to choose to be content with essentials. Hashtag, there's value in a humble heart. Skip down in your text there to verse 17. Look what he says. Paul tells Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be too proud. Now, notice he said, teach those who are rich. That's assuming that there are people that are rich that Timothy is going to be ministering to in Ephesus where he's getting sent to ministry. He said, okay, here's what you need to do. Those people that are doing okay, that are doing well, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and to trust their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. He he told the Philippians in the letter he wrote to them that he understood. Paul said, I understand what it is to have virtually everything. See, when Paul's name was Saul and he was before he had his conversion experience and he's working for the government and he's persecuting Christians and traveling around, he had virtually everything that the world could offer He had a title, he had compensation, he had all the accolades, he had it all. And so he told the Philippians, I know what it's like to have virtually everything. And I know what it's like to have virtually nothing. And then he wrote this to the Philippian church. There's that verse in Philippians 4. Everybody know which one I'm talking about? A bunch of you do. Because some of you get it tattooed on your arm or get a bumper sticker in your car. That verse 13, I can what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We know that verse. Have you ever taken the time to read the two verses before it? The two verses right before Paul wrote that? He said, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, we we don't read the whole thing and we get to verse 13. That sounds great. That's my theme verse. And athletes, you know, are like, yeah, I can do it. What he meant, what he was really saying there was when you're going through a tough time, You can get through it. 
You can get, you can't, it's not talking about going out and conquering. It's just saying, I can get through anything with Christ. I can get through anything with Christ. That's where I find my contentment. The verse says to tell or to command those who are rich. Not to be proud or arrogant. It doesn't tell them to become poor. It just tells them to put their hope in Jesus Christ. Because wealth is uncertain or unreliable. Any you guys news followers been watching what's been going on over in Britain? Ever since the new prime minister came in a few weeks ago? New prime minister, Liz Truss, comes in after the death of prime minister. New prime minister, she's got all these economic plans and strategies. She lasted six weeks. Six weeks. 44 days. And she had to stand out there and make the announcement that all of her plans didn't seem like they were working. Their economy was in somewhat of a free fall over the cliff because all this wealth that had been supposedly there had accumulated. She had plans to maintain and all these things lasted 44 days. 44 days. Where are we putting our hope? God's a fantastic provider. I love a little bit later in Philippians chapter 4. Paul goes on and finishes. He says, For this same God who takes care of us will supply all of our needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. So, so what do we do? We reject or we renounce uh, greed and we accept that money is temporary and we choose to be content with the essentials. Let me give you one more action step to work on. And that is to make godliness, godliness our highest priority. The hashtag there would be there's value in doing good and being generous and sharing hope. Look at verse 18 of our text. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You know, it wasn't that long ago that we spent a whole series talking about how important it was to be better as a family. Not perfect, but better. And we talked about the importance of building a solid spiritual foundation for our family. And here Paul's saying to store up treasure in heaven is establishing a solid foundation for eternal life. We, we try to be a very generous church. We are committed as a church to using for building the kingdom through missions, benevolence, and outreach. In other words, giving away 15 cents out of every dollar that comes in. We are above tithing. Tithing would be 10, and we we try to use 15% for helping people through benevolence, outreach, and missions. We call it our Together Initiative, and every year, uh, starting about now through Christmas week, we have just our reminder every year, and we have at Christmas Eve week are together offering. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been a part of it. Some of you have been big players in that over the last three or four years. But our hope every year is to raise as much of the next year's budget of for missions, outreach, and benevolence, which is right around a quarter of a million dollars uh, for next year, to raise that as much of it as we can up front. Christmas week and, and special off. We have red envelopes that will be out in a couple of weeks. And, and God God has been fantastic in blessing us because every year we've done this, it's been over $100,000 that has come in in that time, well over half some years of our missions need for the next year. So it allows our Together team, our mission team that Jason leads to start the year with a good foundation, to be able to actually plan missions efforts and sending people on mission trips and all those things, to actually be able to plan that instead of having to wait like week to week to see what the offering is and get 15% out of that. They can actually plan it. And so uh, whatever comes in, then we figure out and then we fund the rest of it through the budget. And it's been awesome to see what goes on with the number of countries. The flags up above you represent the countries where we've got boots on the ground of people that are there doing missions and and working as a part of our church staff just in other places. And, And so we are going to be doing that again Christmas Eve this year. And so we want you just to pray about what you and your family could do. 
over and above regular giving. So if we take away from regular giving, then it hurts that. This is over and above year-end giving. And some of you have had really good years. Every year I have somebody come to me and say, hey, it was a really good year this year, and I got a, a really significant bonus. or our, And so we just want to tie it out of that, and we're going to put it in together. Awesome, great. Some of you, this year has been a tough year. I mean, I get that. And so it's not that anybody does everything. It's that everybody does something when it comes to that. And that we can all feel like, yeah, we've been in this together. We've been in this making a difference together. We have, we have so many new folks at our church that this first time you've even heard about it. I, I just got to let you know about the generosity of some people that have gone before you. This room you're sitting in, we moved in here in 2005. This building and all the facility and all the furnishings in it cost about $6 million when, in 2005. I don't, I don't know, economists, I don't know what that'd be today, a lot more than that. But, and out of that $6 million, $2 million of it was given up front by people who were worshiping here at that time. That, are, that basically were buying seats that some of you guys are sitting in. That some of you guys have not only started coming here since 2005, some of you have come to know Jesus since 2005. And that's the only reason that people were willing to sacrifice at that level. And I'm talking about some of them at thousands and tens of thousands of dollars over above their regular giving over a three-year period. Just... Because they got it. They got what it was really about. And it wasn't about building a church. It wasn't about filling seats in a church. It was about filling heaven. With people that needed to know the amazing love of Jesus. The amazing thing about that, $2 million, wow, over and above. Now we've paid down another $2 million. And so this, we're on the bottom, we're on the back side of things with this building. Just a few years before that, they built a gymnasium that cost about $2 million and they raised over a million of it up front just so kids could be engaged in preschool and activities and get to know about Jesus. And that one's paid for. And then a few years ago, a young man that goes to our church that grew up in my youth group when I was the youth minister here, he's a realtor now and he, in town now, and he'd heard me talking about how much we'd like to hear, have the land next door to us. And we talked about it, and we talked about it, and we talked about it. And finally, Sean came and said, right, let's quit talking about it. Let's just do it. And I was like, you're a realtor. Go negotiate a deal. And he did. And then he sat up here on stage with me the last Sunday of November in that year and shared his dream and his vision and what, what it was going to cost to buy that land. And in December that year, all that money came in in cash. And the end of the year, we wrote a check for that land next door where the soccer field is and the walking trails are and the frisbee golf is and some other stuff that's getting ready to happen that I can't say yet, but it's going to be exciting. And that's all because some people just said, yeah, let's go. Let's go. See, that's what understanding the mission is. That's what understanding and realizing what is important in life. And so I just want to finish to ask you, where do you find value? Where do you find value? Hopefully, hopefully every one of us finds value in our family and friends. Absolutely, we need to find some value in our family and friends. Some of you got great jobs and, and that's important to you. And you've worked really, really hard to get that job. And that's awesome. And, and there's value in that. Some of you have really, really nice houses. Or some of you may not have that nice a house. But man, it, it's your pride and joy. And that's great. That's great. We want you to keep that. Some of you have some pretty good financial security that no matter what happens to the economy next year or whatever, like, we're going to be okay. We got this. But my hope and prayer is that you would Work yourself to a position where your real worth, where your real value was found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that's really, that's really all you got. When this is all over, that's really all you got. So I think if your money could talk to you today, I think it would say, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of your life. See, we all got stories. We all got stories of what God has done that we can share with people. Think about that. What's important to you? And when that door opens, what's the story you're going to share? 
all the money in your 401k? No, we kind of keep that stuff private. Mm -hmm. The story you need to share is the value you found in Jesus Christ. And I would hope and pray you would consider making sure you're in a good place with him today. Would you guys stand with me? If anyone in here is ready today or maybe thinks you're ready but doesn't really know what all that actually looks like. And as we sing this song about our testimony, as we sing this song about our testimony, uh, Bobby and Jason be over to the decision room. And you, and you guys hang tough with me. Greeters, you're going to have time to get to your spot. Hang tough with me. Because what my hope is that there'll be people that are making their way there and they don't need to be interrupted with people making their way there. All right? All right? So if you're ready to make a move, let's make a move. And if you've already made that move, let's think about sharing our testimony. Church. Run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power Still the miracle that I just can't get over My name is registered in heaven Yeah, my praise belongs to you forever This is my testimony From death to life This grace rewrote my story I'll testify By Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony, this is my testimony. Come together, sons and daughters, walk with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father, our God. We'll finish what he started Yes, our God We'll finish what he started This is my testimony From death to life This grace rewrote my story I'll testify That Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified This is my testimony This is my testimony All right, all right. Hey, don't forget, get in early so you can see the announcements. Hang around after they're going to be on the screen. The big one that's coming up real soon is this Tuesday night is Pathways. If you haven't signed up and you want to, see Bobby in the next, next step room right back here. Let's get out of here. Let's go share our story. Let's love God, love people. Let's go change the world. See you guys.